0: Welcome back to episode 72 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent in which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen the series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler free where I get my overall opinion on the series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Angels of Death. Released in 2018 by Studio JC's staff, it has 16 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched the series in sub. Angels of Death follows Rachel Gardner, a young girl sent for counseling after a traumatic incident. While at the hospital, she finds herself in an unfamiliar room with no recollection of how she got there. Rachel has been trapped in an underground complex and in order to escape, must navigate different kill floors, each with a unique murderer. So first impressions of Rachel is she is very level-headed for someone put in this situation. If a typewriter started asking me questions, I'd be curled up in a ball on the floor and that was one of the least scary things in this building. Rachel is no stranger to rough circumstances, it was heartbreaking seeing her home life. Both parents were mad abusive but the biggest tragedy is imagining what she could have been with a support system. From discovering the hidden switches on Eddie's floor to easing through Kathy's stations, Rachel is sharp. Her mental math skills were amazing when deciphering answers for the dollhouse, There's no telling what she could achieve in a stable environment. I've read some articles with more detail on her family and I wish the show explored the deterioration of their minds. When we meet the parents, they're already full-blown crazy far beyond repair. I think showcasing how it got to that point would have been beneficial to the anime. Speaking of terrible upbringings, Zack is covered in bandages to hide burn scars from when his mother's boyfriend lit him on fire as a child. He was put in a temporary home with neglectful guardians where he's further mistreated and forced to bury the remains of other children who died under their supervision. It's no wonder this guy grew up to be nuts. I don't know what city Zach and Rachel are from but family services is beyond incompetent to allow these shenanigans to happen. Coming back around to a support system, I wish the blind man who took Zach in didn't die. He was oddly calm about having a killer in his home. I doubt it would have changed anything but it'd be nice for Zach to have someone in his corner. Unfortunately that doesn't happen and Zach takes a position on the kill floor, murdering whoever's put in front of him without question. After giving it some thought, Zach's floor is by far the scariest. The mixture of still being confused and having Zack the one up in your face killer first would suck. All the floor masters get an announcement when a new person enters giving them time to prepare and he's also familiar with every twist and turn of these streets. Chasing someone around who's blind to where they're meant to go is a huge advantage. At this point Rachel has no idea what's going on. If she was aware of being in a death maze, maybe she could have moved a little differently when first getting off the elevator. I'd imagine she wouldn't stop to bird watch. Zach broke the rules by leaving his floor causing him to become a target as well, and demanding Rachel's help to escape because he's not smart enough to do it alone was a solid way to have them team up. But let's be real, I'm being polite saying he wasn't smart enough, the guy's a complete moron. I don't mean him being unable to read, his childhood clearly didn't include many opportunities to learn through bedtime stories. What I'm talking about is a lack of common sense. Zach's stupidity is showcased throughout the series, starting with him not opening the cray Rachel ducked into on his floor. He should have known where she was, I'm sure many other people have used the same hiding spot. Zach also doesn't make very smart choices for his health, constantly moving around while injured. And when in desperate need of medical attention, he's like, hey Rachel, I should be dead already from blood loss, but instead of rushing back with supplies, could you waste more time and stop by my floor to get a knife I haven't needed this entire time but want now? Which brings us to his weapons of choice. Knives and a big old metal scythe. I was surprised he had genuine combat skills, deflecting the darts from Rachel's house trap was great, and he took her down by sweeping the legs. I made note that Zach put his scythe to Rachel's neck 8 times throughout the season, but never did anything. At some point he needs to come up with a better threat, though I think he stopped wanting to hurt her midway through the series. Zach and Rachel develop a brother-sister relationship. He even shortens her name to Ray which was sweet, but their dynamic was weird. Rachel who wants to die begins living for Zach so he can escape and kill her later. Then Zach, who wants to kill Rachel, begins protecting her. He took the injectable drug and made her wear the gas mask on Kathy's floor, which at first falls in line with him using her to escape, but he showed a genuine desire for her to live when coming out of the burning building. Next is Dr. Daniel Dickens. He's the counselor Rachel was sent to and responsible for putting her in this mess. When he started giving off pedo vibes, I was not having it. Luckily, he's only going after eyeballs. And it's no surprise his crazy stems from mommy issues, but I don't understand why the mother killed herself because of him missing an eye. Not to sound insensitive, that just sounds like a really stupid reason to slip into a depression. Something else that's confusing is Rachel took a device from Danny's unconscious body to access the elevator, but no one else stabbed him in the chest so how did they get to the next floor? Then I thought he is a wimp so maybe everyone else just big dogged and tossed Danny around until he gave them the key to move on. I mean no disrespect to Rachel for getting pinned down, but I'm a grown man. You could give Danny a chainsaw and I still wouldn't be afraid of him. I'm actually skeptical anyone has died by Danny's hand. When it showed a woman was hung in Eddie's records, I assume she did it to herself after getting stuck on Danny's floor. Next up is Eddie, a gravedigger who collects bodies killed in the building to bury. Eddie took a liking to Rachel and made her a grave more extravagant than the rest. Going off that logic, he must hate Zach with the rock clump he put together for him. Eddie wants to steal killing Rachel from Zach and watching their petty arguments about it was amusing, but it's surprising Rachel wouldn't take Eddie up on his offer. After discovering the death of her parents, the most emotion she shows is from the grave he made, plus Eddie pointed out Zack will rip her apart where he will end her life peacefully. I also did some extra reading on Eddie's background. There was so much to his history, I really feel the anime shortchanged all the floor masters. They'd have more to offer if time was invested in their backstory and maybe I'd actually care once they die. I will say Eddie is pretty brave, for being the same size as Rachel, he put up a good fight against Zack before getting the scythe. Next is Kathy who considers herself a judge but is more like a warden on her prison floor. With how she went on about the proper procedure for criminals to be punished, I was surprised she'd be satisfied having someone shot by her minigun trap at the first gate. Kathy's floor would have been my favorite but I was thrown off by all the stupidity. Zach continues to be an idiot. Rachel, you should have noticed the chair was a trap sooner and let me know. Two seconds later, Rachel tells him don't go through that door, it's clearly dangerous. Well, we won't get anywhere by being wusses. Through the door it is. Like, what a moron. Then they enter the airtight room and argue about who should wear the gas mask. Not only was it a huge waste of time, but Rachel takes the mask off and throws it on the ground. Like, if she didn't want it, why not hand it over to Zach? Then after the scale is balanced, both agree nothing's changed until noticing a ceiling tile on the floor. How did they not hear that thing fall? It's made of metal and should have created a loud thud. Then Zach bends the keycard to open the door by forcefully shoving it in the wrong way. There's a clear directional arrow on it. He must know what those are. When it came to the injections, Zach could just put the needle under his bandages and not pierce the skin, squirt both liquids on his arm instead of in the vein, and Kathy would be none the wiser. Then a gun appears at Rachel's feet when Kathy only momentarily dimmed the lights. None of this made any sense. Since we're talking about guns, Rachel should have used hers sooner. I mentioned in my review of Batum, if you're in a survival situation, the first thing you do is check supplies. She would have been aware of the pistol after she got the needle and thread out of her bag back on Zach's floor. This escape could have been so easy, just headshot everyone and we're done in five episodes. Where Zach and Rachel are unique is traversing the floor as a pair. Technically, Zach isn't supposed to be there so I had fun trying to explain how one of them would progress in situations where they worked as a team. Rachel instructed Zach to remain standing on Eddie's underwater switch. In a solo situation, if the button did need constant pressure, my solution would be placing a headstone on it. That takes half a brain to figure out, so if dum dumb Zach was alone, he'd still be running around aimlessly smashing graves until he starved to death. When it came to making it through Kathy's floor without a second person, the first problem is who would take the mugshot. The only fix I could think of is the camera must have a timer, and this is where I stopped being able to provide alternatives. Rachel had to smash the dolls to free Zach from the electric chair, but if she was alone and sat down, she just dies. No one would be there to chop the heads off. Another issue is if someone's alone, they couldn't enter the gas room ceiling duct. Zach is fairly tall and couldn't reach, he had to toss Rachel up to it. And if she was alone, even standing on a table, I doubt she could get to it. When it came to the worker and navigator obstacle, knowing he abandoned his floor I could see Kathy having time to make that a pair activity and a screw you to Zach. Moving on, I didn't like Gray's floor, Rachel was high the entire time and so much of what took place didn't actually happen. The trial was a farce, Eddie and Kathy are already dead so it's what Rachel thinks they would feel about her, and I was uninterested in all the god talk it drug on for too long. The only positive I had is Gray's bookshelf hidden door was cool. Now the twist of Rachel being the final floor master was excellent. I only figured it out as she stepped off the elevator and I think the reason why I overlooked some obvious signs at the beginning is because she's portrayed as this young girl, sealed in a scary building just wanting to see her parents. When she sewed the bird back together, I was too distracted by my anxiety of her stopping to do it. I was like, there's a deranged murderer after you, get going. So the actual act of stitching up a dead animal didn't register as alarming. Killers usually start by doing weird things to animals, so I'm embarrassed how casually I put this off to the side. The second clue was Rachel having a gun in her bag. I was more focused on when did she get that rather than why did she have it. And the third was her mowing down decomposing prisoners and needlessly stepping on the hands of the dead. We saw Rachel lose all emotion back on Danny's floor which is what I attributed to those actions. It never crossed my mind she was just always tapped. Now we go through the bullshit ending of this anime. It made no sense whatsoever. It's highly unlikely Zach would be able to escape from police, but if he did, his attire would be an orange jumpsuit, not the old bloodstained sweater. In no way he scaled the treatment center wall, we saw it's huge. But the most glaring issue is Zach arriving with his scythe which we already saw break. It's not like he had time to stop at Walmart to pick up a new one. When first watching the ending, I figured Zach's arrival was a dream and I'm not alone in my thinking. There's a great post on Reddit that covers similar points, I encourage you to look it up. After seeing Angels of Death a second time and watching critically, I have a new hypothesis. It not only explains the ending, but every little nonsensical detail throughout the series. None of it actually happened. Now bear with me. It's well established Rachel has mental breaks. What if this is a delusion? Now you might ask why Rachel would conjure a story where she's targeted to be killed, but look at her life. Her family was filled with neglect and abuse, Rachel's mother completely lost her mind before being killed by the father. Then he attempted to kill Rachel, psychotic violence is all she knows. She was also ignored by her family, but we're all the main character in our own story. Rachel is front and center with all the attention on her. The news did two pieces on Rachel, one after the death of her parents and the second one she's put in the psychiatric facility. The broadcast included details that don't fly in real life, They couldn't state Rachel's age or name, she's a minor. It also wouldn't comment on her mental status, a person's medical situation can't be shared. Patients have the right to privacy, so the psychiatrist doing an interview to discuss Rachel's treatment is a huge no-no. Another argument for this being a dream is no one dies. Kathy and Eddie's bodies disappeared, so who knows if they're really gone. Gray casually skips from floor to floor during the self-destruct sequence not affected by the explosions. Then Danny and Gray have a full-blown conversation with everything around them on fire, yet somehow they aren't burned or even sweating. Rachel is shot twice and doesn't die. Danny is shot and doesn't die. Kathy's gunshot wound didn't kill her. And Zach is popped four times but is still kicking. Which brings me to my next point. Gray says everyone here is human, but I don't believe it. Zach has to be immortal. He takes volts of electricity that should kill a person like it's an annoyance, Then after two bullet holes and slicing his belly open, he bleeds out for multiple episodes. He had massive blood pools form around him more than once and a droplet trail every time he moved. That's why I found it funny when Rachel gets shot and Zack says any human who loses that much blood will die. Buddy you've lost five times that amount. Next, let's look at how well things work out for Rachel in this fantasy. When she tells Zack to break through the wall on Eddie's floor he not only busts through, it created a perfect arching frame for him to enter. After seeing that, a cheap wooden door on Rachel's floor is too much for him to break. He kicked and slashed it several times with no result. This is when Rachel doesn't want Zach to enter for fear he will discover her secret and hate her for lying. But later when exiting the same room at Rachel's request, Zach breaks an identical wooden door in one hit. It appears things work out when Rachel wants them to. Another example is on Kathy's floor. Zach couldn't cut metal bars when Rachel didn't care. Yet when she wants to reach the surface or be free of the treatment center, Zach can slice through bars like butter. Rachel MacGyver also made a bomb to escape the poison gas room. Luckily a random wire was laying around and she held on to Eddie's remote control for the batteries. Plus it's pretty convenient the explosion blew open reinforced glass and a steel door, yet this safe shielded Rachel and Zach from the blast. My last argument for why this entire scenario is a figment of Rachel's imagination is the infrastructure of the killing floors. Think of all the different rooms. A waterfall you can turn off and on, Kathy's automated equipment, Gray has a full underground church, not to mention the electric and water bills, plus the killers need to eat. An evil millionaire must be watching everything on the cameras laughing, like, ha 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 ha, money well spent. Next is who constructed this place? Even if a company built the rooms and didn't see what was being put in later, would they not question why they're doing all this work hundreds of feet underground? And if an elevator breaks down, does the technician brought in just ignore the blood-covered streets on Zach's floor while repairing it? Who's responsible for the building's upkeep? A crater of bullet holes is made by Kathy's minigun, how does that get filled with fresh cement? Who sweeps up the shell casings, reloads the guns, and stocks the confetti container that rains down when a person makes it past that gate? Rachel's spike pit trap needs to be covered with new wood flooring after every activation. And if the exit is found, someone needs to replace the stained glass window. I realize I'm looking way too deep but it's more plausible this is a dream than a building like this actually existing. As for the visuals, when Rachel first requests Zack killer, he responds by puking rainbows as a sign of disgust. For a series that didn't carry that tone it was odd for such an animation to be incorporated. Even little shots where the background went blue with Rachel and Zack going cartoony was odd. The only switch I liked is when Zack was destroying all the greys with the red filter It was like a time video game bonus mission that looked cool and fit the series. The background music was eerie, the single note hit on the piano was creepy, and when Zack is escaping with Rachel up the stairs, it's straight up playing a Metal Gear Solid track. Vital by Masaki Yendo is easy to imagine as an anime opening song, just not for this series. I don't think the visuals match the music. Haruka Chisuga is the vocalist for the ending song Prey. No disrespect to her, the singing was fine, but the opening... was fire it was honestly the best part of the song when it came to voice actors. the casting is the best I've ever seen. I tried my hardest to find the casting director if anyone knows who it is. Shoot me an email. I don't know what award someone in that position would win, but they deserve it. Nobuhiko Okamoto was perfect as Zack. his screams of agony while being electrocuted were fire, and the crazy laughs causing voice cracks were amazing, complimented only by his low tones when getting serious. He is also the voice of Rin from Blue Exorcist. I should have known both these characters shared a voice actor with the similar cracks and high tones. Haruka Chisuga not only sang the ending tune, she was the voice of Rachel. The ranges she had to portray for a single character were amazing. She went from confused girl to emotionless drone to angry killer then back to child with life during the escape. And the way she says Rachel Godina is awesome. Natsumi Fujiwara, the voice of Eddie, killed his creepy childlike giggle. I had my fingers crossed there would be no dub for this series. When I saw the English cast list, there are three actors who I've disliked in everything I've heard them in. I knew they would screw this up. In the spirit of being fair, I gave the dub a quick listen. It met my expectations for how terrible I thought it would be. Now I want to mention a few highlights. The doll seated as witness to the execution pulled me back in time. They are identical to models used in the Robaxi pain relief commercials that ran in the late 90s to early 2000s. You can still look them up on YouTube. Zack's floor reminds me of Wonder City in Batman Arkham City where you have to plug into different robots for a full video file while fighting off League of Shadow members. Grey mentions Zack is simple and his floor reflects that but going through the entire building I wonder if Zack feels ripped off. His floor looks like an abandoned dump compared to Eddie's secret switches and hidden waterfall entrance. Kathy's floor is huge with a control room and applause track. Gray got a whole church with vaporizers to keep the hallucinations going. I'd be pissed to learn I was the only one living in squalor. Rachel's floor is like an R-rated home alone with her as the female Macaulay Culkin. The giant wrecking ball was a little far-fetched but still awesome. I find it hard to phrase this next point because it comes out as my favorite part of this floor is when Zach kills Rachel's guard dogs. But what I actually mean is when that happened I jokingly said to myself Rachel is going to need to stitch them up later. Cut to her restoring the power and apologizing to the dogs for not having time to fix them. Now we get into the nitpicks. When Rachel leaves the first room she walks down a very short hallway to the elevator. That corridor had 20 cameras spaced only a foot apart. I understand not wanting to lose sight of the target but that was unnecessary. Zack appears to enjoy the chase on his floor so I'm sure it wouldn't be fun this way but he knows the path to reach the elevator. He could just camp by it ensuring he gets every kill. How dare this series make Zack's family name foster after everything he went through in the system. That's in poor taste. If the woman Zack stole the car from simply got in and shut the door, I doubt he'd be strong enough to break the window. She could have driven off instead of letting him slice her up. This is a horror series so I'm glad they didn't miss the trope of a girl tripping as the killer chases her, but usually it's on a tree root in the woods, not a rock in the middle of a hallway. The fact Dr. Danny knowing who Rachel is didn't search her for a gun before tossing her in the building is wild to me. I understand Zack's reasons for killing happy people, but why did he hate liars? He mentioned it multiple times, but unless I missed it, we never got an explanation why it affects him so deeply. The building escape stole every design from Nintendo 64. The path leading to the surface reminds me of Bowser's Endless Staircase in Mario. Then you have steel bars blocking your way with boulders crashing down and a blonde girl next to you. Sounds like the destruction of Ganon's castle and Ocarina of Time to me. Quote of the series. When Rachel suggests Zack not sit in the electric chair, he yells at her to stop nitpicking everything. I felt he was speaking through the screen directly at me. Best girl waifu and harem. Best girl is Rachel. Sure, she turned out to be crazy like everyone else, but she was a sweetheart and I hope she gets the help she needs. She's way too young for waifu talks and no one would be in my harem. Mostly because I'd be terrified Kathy would kill me for no reason. Final thoughts. Angels of Death is a mixture of the Saw franchise and Escape Rooms. If you like either of those things, you should enjoy this series. There was a lot to pick apart which really pulled me out of the story at times. And if the episodes were cut from 16 to 12 with a better ending, this show could have gone from good to great. Regardless, I'd still recommend you check out Angels of Death if you haven't already. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.